that we can be friends forever with our Lord and our Savior, that you're not a faraway, distant God, that, Lord, you desire to have intimate fellowship with every one of us. Lord, we pray as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you don't, again, I know it's been announced, but if you don't have a Bible, you will need one. So raise your hand. We don't put words up on a screen. Nothing wrong with that, but we want you to open up the Bible. Amen? Because I found if you don't open it up on Sunday, you're not going to open up Monday through Friday. All right. So turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. There we go. Is that better? I felt myself yelling. Now I know why. All right. One quick prayer request, uh, we, we made an, an offer on a building on Friday. So be praying, God's will be done. We want to be neither foolish nor faithless, and we feel like we've counted the cost, and if it's where God wants us to be, it'll happen, and if not, then that's what, we don't want it anyway, amen? So have total peace about it, but it would be a blessing, so we'll just keep that in prayer. May God's will be done. Corinthians, we know these people, we've talked about them week after week, for those who might be new or very forgetful. The Corinthians were a very wicked people, as we know. First and Second Corinthians have been referred to by many as First and Second Californians, because they were very much like us. They were people that were caught up in, in, there was idolatry all around them, sexual immorality. They were caught up in the vain philosophies of men. And because of that, they were so easily, the church was very easily caught up in what was going on around them. Paul had planted the church five years earlier. Report comes back that all of a sudden the people in the church were becoming more like the world than having an impact on it. He writes 1 Corinthians, exhorting them to turn away from the things of the world, get their eyes back on God. There's a great repentance that comes. But then there are those within, the the ones who do not repent, these, quote, super apostles, eminent apostles show up and start teaching another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, as we looked at last week. And as he began to teach this, many of the Corinthians, because they're not grounded in the word the way they should be, get drawn away by this other gospel. And it's a great exhortation for all of us that we need to not just look at the messenger, but the message. Not be caught away by the charisma of a man, but the truth of God's word. And today we see so many churches that are caught up in a personality and talking about how funny the the delivery was and not listening to the content of what's being delivered. And that was Paul's exhortation as we saw last week in the first 12, 11 verses as he was talking to them about, again, knowing the content. So in this morning's text, we're going to see a very clear contrast, continue to see, between these false, eminent, super apostles who, again, had much of the church following them, and the true apostle Paul. An apostle was not appointed by men, didn't worry about how charismatic he was, wasn't worried about what people thought, but being faithful to the Word of God. We're going to see again that looks can be deceiving, that man looks on the outward appearance, that God looks on the heart. And we're going to see a very clear contrast in the motives, fruitfulness, character, and then lastly what they boast in. So we're going to see the false apostles and the true apostle. And you know, my prayer this morning, as you see it, you're going to recognize who some of the false, quote, apostles are today. We're going to see that they're still around. They're still coming in, as we said last week, preaching another gospel. So I titled the message today, A Life of Reckless Abandon. And that's the kind of life that Paul lived. Paul was not a man who kind of lived for God. Amen? He was a man who lived for God full speed, Mach 2 with his hair on fire, right? And you know what? We need more Christians like that today. We need more of, you know, not kind of walking with God. Aren't you glad you're not kind of going to heaven? Amen? I mean, we're going and we need to live for God, sold out and set apart because of who our God is and what He's done for us. The false apostles were focused on the here and now. They sought authority and power and position and praise and possessions, more concerned again with their image than the content of their message. They, they said they had the keys to true understanding. They added to the gospel. Well, you got the gospel, but you got to have our special extra stuff. 
You've got to be baptized in our baptismal or you're not going. You know, you've got to have all these extra legalistic things to get into heaven. You know, Jesus is a good start. Jesus is not a good start. Jesus is the ultimate and complete answer. Amen? He alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Well, while these guys have a temporal focus, Paul has an eternal one. He sought no power, no position, no authority in the here and now. He cared nothing for his personal image before men. He sought only that God would be glorified. And when he would boast, he would boast only in his infirmities and trials so that God would be glorified. Paul was sold out for God. He was burdened for the lost. And he would not be moved by his circumstances, but would live a life of reckless abandon for God and the truth of the gospel. Why were so many of the believers in Corinth duped by these false apostles? Because they were more focused on the outward appearance and the delivery of the messenger than the content of the message. The false apostles, as we saw last week, and we're going to continue today, appeared as angels of light. They looked good, but remember that looks can be deceiving. Again, content. What is he saying? I've told you many times, I have neighbors, my old house, a neighbor of mine went to a church here in town, you know, and I'd ask him every week, how was church? The guy was so funny. Great. What was the message about? I have no idea. The guy should be Robin Williams. He's just hilarious. And man, he just, oh, and I'm just laughing so hard. And his marriage in the meantime has fallen apart. His kids are not walking with God. And I'm not even sure if he knows the Lord because he's never even been told what he needed to do to be saved. He didn't realize he was a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm sharing the gospel with him and it's like it's the first time he's heard it and he's been going to a church in town for five years. Never let it be said, amen? That's false. That's not the truth. We need to be delivered the truth in a powerful way. So let's pick up where we left off last week. I'm going to backtrack one verse to verse 12. And we're going to again see reckless abandon for the Lord. And we're going to see a contrast between these false apostles and the true apostle once sent by God. Verse 12. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Paul's talking about the false apostles. And Paul would continue to preach the gospel free of charge. If you guys remember last week, get the tape if you weren't here. They're always free. CDs are free. Help yourself. It'll catch you up. But he said in last week's text, I'm going to preach the gospel free of charge. And these false apostles accused him of being an amateur. Oh, you don't charge money because your message is of no value. The reason we charge so much is because our message is so powerful. What does that sound like? You know, you see these people on TV today doing the same thing. You know, we need to send them money because they're... Stop it. You know what? When you see, I'm going to just say it, when you see TBN offering to send you money, then you know that revival's happened. Amen? And when they stop asking you and begging you and telling you that they're going to go off the air if you don't send them a check, you know what? Where God guides, God provides, and we shouldn't have to beg. Amen? And so we see here so clearly these false apostles proclaimed that because they were being paid so much, that they had a great message because Paul was sacrificially living for God, refusing to accept any money, making tents and preaching the gospel without compromise that he was an amateur. And he says, you know what, I'm going to keep doing it and I'm not going to stop because I'm more concerned about being obedient to God than being faithful to men. These false prophets were hirelings. Where they went where the gig was profitable. Do you, when Jesus called the apostles, do, you, do we see any mention of pay? Come and follow me. So what kind of dental plan do you have? I mean, do you see that? How, you know, how, what, what exactly does a 401k look like? Where am I going to be, you know, am I above Peter or below him? How does that work out on the organizational chart? You don't see any of that. They say, come and follow me. Yes, Lord. And that was Paul's heart. But these false apostles, again, were more concerned with building themselves up. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now he's very direct. Hard to imagine that Paul would be direct. But he calls these guys, these eminent apostles, false apostles because of their legalism, because they believed that Jesus alone was not enough, because they elevated themselves. He said they were deceitful workers, and they transformed themselves. They hadn't been called by God. God's the one who transforms us, amen? 
And they attempted to transform themselves to make themselves look. You know, it cracks me up. And again, I'm going to be bagging on it, but there it is. You know what? You see some of these televangelists on TV? It looks like a Saturday Night Live skit to me sometimes. Some of these guys are so phony, I cannot believe anybody is buying this. Peter Popoff. You ever heard of that guy? It's just ridiculous. I'm watching this guy. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Somebody's sending this guy money. And he's just, he's got all the durations. And what is he doing? He's trying to appear as an angel of light. But if you listen to his message, it's void of any content. His message is, send me money. And sadly, people listen to that message. You know what? If anybody's going after your wallet, run away. You should give because you want to, not because someone manipulated you. And these false workers, again, they were deceitful. And again, they, per- they showed themselves to be angels of light. Well, who are they following after? Who did that? Who does that? Satan does that. We talked about this last week. Satan will not show up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand and horns growing out of his head and say, come follow me to hell. No one's going. <laughs> Instead, what he'll do is he'll show up as the Mormon church. He'll show up with something that looks really good, with some really good, you know, videos on TV and things like that. And you go, oh, and it looks just so much like light. But in the midst of it, Jesus is the brother of Satan, according to Mormon doctrine. And you will be God of your own planet and things like that. And that's what the enemy does. He appears as something good so that we will be drawn away. You know what? You won't be drawn away by the counterfeit if you know the truth. If you know the real God, if you know the Word of God, if you study to show yourself approved, these men had transformed themselves, changing the outward form. But the problem is that if we only look at the outside, we'll be duped when there's no inward transformation. These guys, the word for hypocrite is a mask wearer. It's somebody who pretends to be something that they're not. Those days they didn't have you know, sound systems, and when they would do a play, they would hold up these big masks to show emotions, sadness or happiness, so people far away could see them. And that person was called the hypocrite, the mask wearer. And that's what these guys were. They were pretending to be something they were not, so they might draw a crowd and benefit themselves. Paul didn't care about drawing a crowd, but reaching people for Christ. When you look at any ministry today, what's the focus? Is it getting to see people saved, lives transformed, or drawing a crowd? Which is it? We ought to be looking for those ministries where the Lord alone is being magnified. And he says, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. One of Satan's names is Lucifer. Lucifer means light bearer. That's what it means. And Lucifer was one of God's most beautiful creations. Satan has beauty, not the ugly picture we think of. No red suit and horns. He appears as an angel of light. And sadly, if we only look at the outward appearance, we're going to be fooled. The Corinthians had been taken in by these false apostles, by their charisma, their great oration skills, their outward, again, their outward appearance. Remember we talked about this last week, that Israel's first king they called was King Saul. Why did they pick him? Because he was yoked. He was good looking. He was tall of stature. God's man was David, teenage ruddy kid. Why? Because God looks on, not the outward, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And that's where that verse comes from in 1 Samuel. Paul is showing the Corinthian Christians how foolish it is to rely only on the outward appearance. It's very easy to be taken in. And the key is to have spiritual discernment. Outwardly, most false religions look good. At first glance, they look good. But they're doing good works, supposedly. Look at all the wonderful things. I know some really nice people that are involved in that. We need to get the heart of the matter, amen? What do you, who do you believe Jesus is? There's the answer, amen? When people come to my door, and they don't as often as they used to, but when people come to my door, <laughs> I always ask them one question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Let's just cut to the chase. Let's quit talking about all the other books you've got under your arms, because there's only one book, the Bible, amen? The rest of them are not from God. But who do you say that Jesus is? Oh, he's a good man. Well, he's more than that. Well, he's one of many prophets. No, he's not. He's the only true and living God, amen? And all the other prophets are judged by his words. He's He's the example. He's the answer. He's the truth. 
the closer look, these things that look good outwardly truly end up being doctrines of demons. That again, say things like Jesus and Satan are brothers. These eminent apostles look good, they sounded good, but at closer look, they were simply deceiving the people. Verse 15. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. What I want you to see in this verse is their end will be according to their works. Their end will not be according to their looks. Their end will not be according to their appearance. Then will not be according to how much money they raised. The end will be according to the works they've done for the Lord and whether their ministry has truly been fruitful for God's glory. Their end, their final destiny, their eternal address will be based not according to their outward appearance or popularity with men, but their right standing before God, their real character, their works. Works of deception may deceive men, but you're not going to get over on God. Amen? You may have everybody in the world duped. You may have everybody in the world thinking and talking about how wonderful you are. How are you doing with God? He knows exactly what your motivation is. He sees through the truth of the matter. The very works of these men promoted as necessary for salvation will condemn them when they stand before Almighty God. By the way, works cannot save you. It's the fruit of salvation, not the path to it. Amen? Good works should be fruit of salvation. But it's not good works that can save us, because if they could, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. Amen? If we could be good enough, there would be no need for our Savior to die. We have many, of the, again, these false teachers in the world today, they're referred to in the Bible as ear ticklers, telling people what they want to hear. You have charlatans seeking to get rich off the church and deceivers preaching a false doctrine seeking to draw men unto themselves. Can I encourage you, before you get financially involved or really involved in any way with any church, know what they believe in every way. Don't listen to one message that sounds good. Hear the whole thing, amen? You know, I love it. I'm encouraged when people call our church and say, where do you guys stand on? And they start asking me questions. That blesses me. I go, praise the Lord. Here's someone doing due diligence. Here's somebody truly seeking out what, what, who we are and what we believe. I went to your website and I was reading this and I have some questions. Praise the Lord. That's a good sign. Verse 16 through 18. Now we're going to see Paul speaks of his reluctance to boast. We talked about this last week. He called it foolish folly. He doesn't like to boast. But he's going to boast in his physical attributes just to give a clear contrast to his heart and the heart of these false apostles. Verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool... If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may also boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. Paul hated to talk about himself. Paul loved to talk about the Lord. Paul did not have all the physical attributes these false apostles did. But he did have something greater. He had the truth. And he said, you know what? I'm going to share some things that will glorify God, that will show, again, the difference between one who's truly been called by God and one who is not. He feels foolish and boasting in himself, but he's going to boast in the things that have happened in his life so we, you and I can see the clear contrast. Because I'll tell you what, nobody that I've ever met, was more reckless, more of a reckless abandon for God than the Apostle Paul. This guy, as we're going to see, was sold out for the Lord. Verse 19. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. This is said again with great sarcasm. You put up with fools gladly, because you use worldly wisdom. Because of your worldly wisdom, you'll listen to these deceivers, and you'll applaud them. Guys will get up and say things contrary to the truth and you'll listen and you'll applaud when they're done. And sadly, we see this even in the church today. Because of a lack of spiritual discernment, they will fall for the wisdom of this world. And again, what an incredibly, what incredible foolishness that they had willingly submitted to. Verse 20, for you put up with it if one... If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one, one strikes you on the face. So enticed by these eminent apostles and their outward charisma 
they had foolishly endured the abuse of these false teachers. They brought them into bondage. They enslaved them to legalism. I know so many, it breaks my heart. I meet people who are in bondage to the legalism of their, quote, mentor or whatever. This person they're following has put so much of a burden on them. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? As Christians, we shouldn't be walking around, oh, it's just so hard being a Christian. It's not hard being a Christian. It's hard being an unbeliever. Amen? I'm going to heaven. My best friend created the universe. I'm not in this by myself. It's difficult when you don't know God. Amen? Oh, it's just so hard being a Christian. No, it's not. It's freeing being a Christian. Amen? Do I go through difficult times? Do we all go through difficult times? Yes, but we don't go through them alone. Amen? And so he's saying here very clearly that, look, they enslave you. They devour you, which means they eat you up. They take from you. They seize their possessions. They exalt themselves. They made arrogant claims. And they literally were physically slapping them on the face when they didn't understand. Now this is a tradition of many rabbis. When they would teach somebody, if they didn't get it, they would slap them across the face and tell them, listen up, right? Don't you get it? And so these guys were, oh, hit me again, right? I mean, the foolishness of, because someone's charismatic, because somebody has a personality that we admire to listen to lies like this. And Paul is tired of it. You know, Paul's heart was for the Corinthian believers. This was a church that he had planted. These were people whose lives he had invested in. He had seen them come to the saving knowledge of Christ. He was blessed by the fruit of their ministry. The word comes back. They're being devoured by these false apostles. And his heart is broken. He's saying, oh Lord. And he's writing this letter again, to draw them back into right fellowship. These guys had brought them into bondage to men. And isn't that what every cult today does? Why do, why do people have such a hard time leaving cults? Because they're afraid of what the men in charge of them will think or say or do to them. I can't tell you the number of people I witnessed to. Yeah, but if I leave, you know, I got these people over me and this hyper-shepherding and telling them how to live every aspect of their life. You know what? I want to I keep you from coming to me and get you to go to the Lord. Amen? Certainly I'm here to minister to you. The pastors are here. Other Christians are here to minister to you and to, to pray for you. And we want to do that. But may you never make any man a substitute for going straight to God. Amen? And that's what has happened is they're, they're getting in the way. The veil's been torn. We have one mediator, right? Jesus Christ. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Again, Paul's heart is that he would not bind them The Lord would not bind them, but free them. He would not devour them, but heal their wounds. He would not take from them, but give to them in abundance. His apostles would not exalt themselves, but exalt the Lord. And He would not strike us in the face, but hold us in His righteous right hand. That's our God, amen? Maybe you're here visiting. Maybe you go to a church where there's heavy bondage like that. It should not be that way. shouldn't walk around condemned. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There should be joy. There should be peace in the midst of a lost and dying world because we know who we belong to. Verse 21, To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But whenever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. To our shame. Again, more sarcasm. Paul confesses that he is too weak to abuse the sheep that way. He says, I I won't beat you in the face. I'm not going to put bondage upon you. I'm not as eloquent as they are. I'm just going to come to you and love you and give you the truth of God's Word. And I'm going to do it in a direct, but also a kind and a loving way. He says, I am bold also. The most eminent apostles were bold in proclaiming their greatness. They focused on their own appearance and gifting. They glorified in themselves. Again, if you see somebody who's talking about how great he is, or great she is, run away. I told you I was in Washington, D.C. a few weeks back, and they had pastors from all over, and and most of them were outstanding. It was a blessing. But a couple of the guys, it's the grace of God I didn't have a tomato. (laughs) Because these guys were so arrogant. I mean, just, and I'm this, and I've done this, and I've done, you know, I'm like, for an hour and a half. I is the middle letter in the word sin. Amen? And it just, I, 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 and I'm like, man, is you on fire? I, 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 right? I mean, stop. Point people to Jesus, amen? God alone should be glorified. 
And this is Paul's heart saying, look, I'm bold bold also, but my boasting is not going to be in me, but in him. Instead, Paul's credentials are going to be in complete contrast to the pride, the vanity, the boasting, and the self-sufficiency of the false apostles. Paul boasted in his physical infirmities, not his outward appearance, but his inward faithfulness. This is what we ought to look for. Can I tell you, as your pastor, the people that have the greatest impact on me, the pastors that I love to listen to the most are the ones who've walked through God through great difficulty. Great difficulty. My favorite Bible teacher on this planet is John Corson. John Corson's wife was killed in a car accident. Then about seven years later, his daughter was killed in a car accident. And he never wavered in his walk with God. He went through difficulty, but I say, there's a man I, I want to listen to. There's a man whose walk with God isn't dependent upon his circumstances. There's a man who's walked with God through a great deal of time, through a great deal of trials, and just keeps on walking. There's somebody who I want to pay attention to. Amen? A man who doesn't seek glory for himself, always glorifies God. And so, too, this is Paul. And you know what? Wait till we read Paul's list. We're going to read it right now. This is heavy. Now, I want you to keep in mind, those of you who say, I want to be just like Paul. Okay. Read this list, and when we're done, say, I kind of want to be like Paul. I mean, you know, you might change just how much, but look, this is the man that was used greatly by God, but look at all that he would have to go through. Look what he says in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. These false super apostles were proud of their, of their Jewish heritage. And again, they thought that Jesus wasn't enough for salvation. And they taught you had to be a good Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had to keep the law. They were very legalistic. And they were bringing people into bondage of legalism. And they boasted in their heritage. Well, guess what? Paul says, my heritage is just as great as theirs. I'm a Hebrew. I was born you know, into a Jewish family. I am an Israelite. I am of the seed of Abraham, which points to the Messianic line. He said, physically, these guys have nothing on me. Their heritage, nothing on me. And so, the thing that they were bragging about, he's making it very clear that he too has that very same ancestry as a source of credibility for their ministry. And they would talk down about Paul like he wasn't you know, quite up to, to snuff in comparison to them. And he was making it very clear. The eminent apostles, again, spoke of their outward appearance as proof of their calling, Paul's proof of calling is going to be his inward endurance. These super apostles sought the praise of men and the temporary glory of this life. The apostle Paul sought only that God would be glorified, the gospel would be delivered to all who were lost, even at the cost of his own life. As we go through this list, he gives, he's given us his heritage. Now he's going to tell us all the stuff he's been through, and yet he doesn't quit. As we read this, just remember, he could have quit. And I have to confess, I probably would have. And he doesn't. Why not? As we're going to see, because he has such an incredible burden for the lost. Because he has such an eternal focus that this reckless abandon isn't even a choice to be made. It's just the heart of the Apostle Paul. This is who I am. This is where I'm going. You know, I heard a great, before we move on, I heard a great uh, story at the pastor's conference. One of the pastors, John Michaels, was speaking on missions. And as we went through, the title of the, of the conference was A Successful Church in God's Eyes, which I loved. Not a successful church in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. And they went through the seven churches of Revelation. And he was speaking about missions, and he was talking about an elderly woman in his church. And he said, you know, if there was ten more women like this in Las Vegas, all of Vegas would be saved. He said, this woman just is reckless for God. And he said, you know, she calls me up and says, Pastor John Michaels, she said, I need $10,000 because there are starving lepers in China. And we need to feed them. And John Michael says, well, uh, you know, it's a big church, but he's like, well, uh, you know, I don't have $10,000 lying around. I, you know, I can pray about it. And she says, okay, will you pray? I'll pray. Oh, all right, okay. So a couple days go by, she calls back and says, Pastor John Michaels, I have the $10,000. What? How did you get? And he said, she works on my staff. I pay her almost nothing, right? I know what she makes. He said, where did you get $10,000? She said, I sold my house. You sold your house? Her husband had died a few years earlier. He said she lived in a really meager home. 
But she saw the need of those people and said, how can my comfort be more important than them eating? So in Jesus' name, she sold her house and was going to send the rice to feed these lepers for a couple of years and said, oh, it's okay, I'll find a place to live. And John Michael said, after she said that, he hung up the phone and went and got, went and got on his knees and said, Lord, am I saved? Because in comparison to this woman, I mean, here I am going, well, we got all these other things, we got a budget, how are we? And she sold her house. Now what's incredible is, a couple more days go by and Pastor John gets a call from this woman. He says, Pastor John, I got a call from my daughter. Her daughter's an attorney, her, son, her son-in-law's an attorney, they're, they're uh, you know, doing very well in their careers, and they called him and said, Mom, we made too much money last year, we were told by our accountants we need to do something with some of it, so you know what, we've prayed about it, and we're going to buy you a house. <laughs> she didn't give seed money hoping she'd get a bigger house, amen? She gave because God put it on her heart that she needed to be obedient. And you know what? You can't outgive God. Amen? You don't give trying to manipulate God to give you more money. It's not the lottery we're playing in here. Amen? Instead, it was she saw the need and said, how can I sit in my house and have thousands of people go hungry? I'm going to sell my house so they can be fed. And then look what God turns around and does for her. This is reckless abandon for God. We need more of this. Amen? I'd start with me, Lord. Start with me. More reckless abandon for God. This is the Apostle Paul. Look what it says here, beginning of verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. You know what? It's hard for him to say this. But the word minister here, are they ministers of Christ, is the word diakonos. which is where we get the word deacon. And in Greek, it describes a humble servant, a menial worker. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. This is so true. Because he was truly a minister of Christ, a servant, a humble servant, seeking only to do the will of God. Paul, as a, again, in the position of service, was sold out in his dedication. He had reckless abandon. Nothing would deter him from what he was called to do. He didn't see being a minister as a title of, of exaltation and privilege as the false apostles did. He saw it as a calling. And he saw it as someone who should walk in humility. It's so sad today. We need to be very careful that we don't exalt pastors to the position. Again, God has given the pastor's authority in the church to minister truth to people. But the pastor's not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is. Amen? And pastor means servant. So senior pastor means senior servant. Chief under rower. You're not here to serve me, I'm here to serve you. Paul said that's what it's about. He said, I am more. I'm a minister, I am more. And again, when the word minister means humble servant, not exalted master. Amen? That's what a minister truly is. And again, he felt like he was a fool. These super apostles have boasted in their accomplishments, all their outward things they had done, but every accomplishment they had was self-centered, temporally focused, done to draw attention to themselves, to promote their legalistic agenda. But as we're going to read through here, Paul's accomplishments were denying self, were eternally focused, were done to glorify God and to promote the good news of the gospel. And as we're going to see, at any cost, Paul's eyes, again, saw nothing that was too great for the gospel. He says there, in labors more abundant. The word labor there means to toil to the point of fatigue. You know what? Can I encourage you that if you're called by God to, to do, and we're all called, if you're born again, you're called. In your calling, if you're truly doing it sold out for God, there's going to be fatigue. There's going to be fatigue. I challenge Pat, when's the last time you labored in the Word to the point of fatigue and pre- preparing a message? Not downloading it off the internet, but laboring in the Word. And you know what? Whatever ministry God has called you to, if you're in the children's ministry, you ought to be labored to fatigue and praying for those kids and preparing that message for Sunday morning. Amen? They deserve the best. They deserve your complete dedication. They deserve that you would be totally devoted to doing that, not just giving them what's left over. Amen? And we see so clearly here the same. Paul said, look, this is in labor more, more abundant These guys didn't labor. They were being served. They didn't understand the heart of a servant. 
He traveled great distance. He endured great hardship. He worked with his own hands so as not to be a burden to the church. And again, in ministry, it can be hard. It can be tiring. But again, these eminent apostles saw ministry as a privilege and a place where they were to be served. And Paul saw it as a calling. In 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Paul said this, I labored more abundantly than they all. You know what I look, you know what I look for first to clarify calling? is somebody who's willing to serve in any area. Because someone who's called by God, they're the ones sweating after church from putting away chairs. Seriously. They're the ones that just have such a... They're doing it all totally for God. They're not giving God what's left. They're giving God their best. Now look what it says. So he labors more abundantly. So what are the results? In stripes above measure. We'll talk about this more in the next verse. But Paul only not worked hard and was fatigued in his service to the Lord, but he endured great suffering and great persecution. These stripes were frequent beatings described in detail in the coming verses. It says there, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently. Now we, only, we know it was only recorded one time up to this point in Paul's life that he'd been in prison, but he already had been in prison numerous times. Apparently there were others, and there were more to come. So in serving God with reckless abandon... It's not always going to be smooth sailing. Beatings came while walking in obedience. Imprisonment came while walking in obedience. And this is very, I see this when I go to India with Gospel for Asia. I talk to these guys. I'm in a van with six guys, myself and another uh, uh, U.S. pastor, and every one of the GFA guys have been imprisoned, and every one of them have been beaten for their faith. One pastor asked one of GFA guy, what percentage of your students will be beaten for their faith? He said, what do you mean what percentage? All of them, of course. And then, and, and, and acting like we know. Well, you're a minister of the gospel. You know what it's like. Um, no. <laughs> Had to drink cold coffee once before church. It was kind of, I mean, you know, we, we have no idea. We have no idea. The amount of suffering that comes often for those who serve. In deaths, Often, this speaks of the numerous times that Paul was in the danger of being killed. Angry crowds tried to kill him on several occasions. As we're going to see in the next couple of verses, he was stoned to death at Lystra. It probably includes all the beatings and the perils that left him near death repeatedly. You know what? I love Paul because he could have quit hundreds of times. But his focus and his passion never changed because of his circumstances. And may that be said of us. Verse 24, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. What he's referring to here is scourging. Have you guys seen the passion of the Christ? You saw what happened to Jesus? We know that clothes were stripped, hands tied around a post, feet dangling above the ground, completely defenseless, cat of nine tails filled with bone and glass and metal, grabbed onto the skin when it was pulled back and ripped open the, the flesh. By the seventh or eighth lash, the body was like hamburger. And by the 39th lash, often the organs were exposed and most men died. Paul had this happen to him five times. We can read right over that verse and go, five times before that. Five times. And he just kept preaching the gospel. He would not waver. We won't tell our next-door neighbor about Christ a second time because they made fun of us the first time. I shared my faith with him, and he laughed at me. He said, that's it, I'm not talking. Right? I'm not going to be mocked like that. Beaten five times. Scourged five times. Why didn't he just quit? Because of his calling. His burden for the lost was greater than his fear of being beaten. The eminent apostles enjoyed the praise of men. The apostle Paul endured labor, persecution, hatred, near-death experiences. Truth faithfulness stands just as tall, remains just as faithful before a jeering crowd as before a cheering one. Someone who's called by God, it won't matter what the response is as much as it will matter that he's being obedient to the Lord. Paul's whole heart was, and we're going to see this later, he's seen heaven. He knows what's coming. He's got an eternal focus. And he's, Lord, I want my life to count for you. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, Paul would say in his letter to the Philippian church. Reckless abandon. You know what? If 
Can you imagine what Santa Cruz would be like if everybody in this room lived lives like the Apostle Paul? This would be Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. This would. We'd be the Bible Belt. Amen? Why? Because, again, can you imagine just having the same burden? People still have free will. We can't force anybody to be saved. But certainly we can go out with reckless abandon to share the truth of God's love with every living person in this county. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now these are the Gentiles. The Jews scourged the Gentiles beat with rods. It's also called caning today. So eight times total. Five times by the Jews, three times by the Gentiles. And interestingly enough, it was against the law for him to be beaten with rods because he was a Roman citizen, and it still happened three times. And Paul didn't quit. His boldness for the Lord resulted in persecution from both the Jews and the Gentiles. But Jesus said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. Next verse. Once I was stoned. And this is not pot. Amen? It wasn't smoking reefer. Once I was stoned. That's not what he's talking about. You know what happened to him? You know what happened to him? People picked up big rocks and threw them at him until he was dead. That's, a, that's kind of a bummer in your day, right? They brought him outside the city gate. Now, again, there's some controversy as to whether or not he died. And it, you know, whether you believe he died or not, he still got stoned to the point where they thought he was dead. And they left, and he either, either the Lord resuscitated or resurrected him. I think he was resurrected personally. And you know what he did when he got stoned and then they, he got up? You know what he did the first thing? He went right back into the city to the same people that just threw rocks at him and started preaching Jesus to him. Reckless abandon. Amen? These false apostles, my nail's broken. I think I'm done for the day. You know what I mean? These guys were all about personal comfort. Paul was like, man, it's not about me. And if they kill me, where am I going? You can't threaten me with heaven, so bring it on, right? This is the Apostle Paul's heart. Reckless abandon for Almighty God. Again, stoned right back into the city. Wasn't looking to be popular with the crowd, but faithful to God. I often thought, I wonder what the people in Lystra who threw rocks at him thought when he walked back into town. I'm thinking repentance would have been a good thing right about then, amen? You stone a guy, you leave him for dead, and he comes walking right back into town. Whoa. Praise God. Look what he says next. Three times I was shipwrecked. As a minister of Christ, Paul traveled throughout the known world to deliver the good news of the gospel. Travel, again, not always easy. Often the enemy would be waiting, not like traveling today. And three times he was shipwrecked. And the amazing part to me is he kept just getting back on boats. The ship went down, he got on another boat. Ship went down, gets on another boat. Ship goes, I mean, this is over time. Why? Because the gospel was more important than his own personal comfort. He said, Lord, my life is yours completely. He wasn't kind of a Christian. He was totally sold out for God. Didn't allow human fear to keep him from his divine calling. Now, not only was he shipwrecked, look what it says. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Now, I would be remembering that. He spent a day and a night in the ocean. Out in the water. Probably dog paddling and praying, right? Or hanging on to a piece of wood from the the ship that broke. I don't know. But the point is that not only was he shipwrecked, but he spent a day and night in the ocean and he still kept getting back on ships. People watch Jaws and wouldn't go in the ocean anymore, right? And here he is, spending a day and night in the deep, and he says, man, but you know what? It's all God's plan and it's all for his glory, so I'm just going to keep going. I'm not worried because my God is faithful. I trust that I'm in his hands. Like... All trials, there's a time when we can blame or question God, or we can cling to Him. Paul didn't blame God for shipwrecks. He clinged to Him in the midst of them. He didn't blame God for a day and night in the deep. He held closer to God because of it. He didn't blame God because He had been stoned. Instead, he said, Lord, use this for your glory. Let me go right back in there. Give me the strength to do it. Reckless abandon. Again, he would not allow his difficult circumstances or opposition to keep him from God's calling upon his life. We know that he sailed at least 18 journeys recorded in Scripture. He just kept getting back on boats. Verse 26. In journeys often, again, through numerous countries and kingdoms, to preach the gospel, Paul was busy about God's work, and two things followed him. Fruitfulness and opposition. You've heard me say that wherever Paul went, there was a revival or a riot. Right? Often both. Look at the rest of these verses. 
in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. The word peril there means danger. I was in danger in the water, great danger. Every time I was walking on foot and had to cross over rivers that were swelling, every time I got into a boat, there was danger. Perils of robbers, bandits who attacked travelers along the road. That means as he was traveling, there, was the, there were bandits who would come along and rob him. He could have said, okay, Lord, I was going, but now that I've been robbed, I'm going home. But he never did that. Why? Eternal focus, reckless abandon for God. Perils from both his countrymen and from the Gentiles. He couldn't run to anybody. The Jews were scourging him, and the Gentiles were beating him with rods. He could run to the church, but even in the the church here in Corinth, they're persecuting him because he's not as eloquent as the super apostles. But yet Paul doesn't give up. He doesn't say, woe is me, and play ain't it awful, and right? Instead, what does he do? Okay, Lord, these people need you, and I'm going to keep going, and you're a faithful God. He was hated by the Jews because they felt that he turned his back on them. He was hated by the Gentiles. Perils in the city. He had perils in Jerusalem, Lystra, Damascus, Antioch, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, and many others. This guy couldn't go into a city without having people riled up at him. And too often we don't want to, again, open our mouth because we're afraid of how we'll be received. Hostile mobs, unwelcoming governments, and even religious leaders. It says there are perils in the wilderness. As he traveled, again, from bandits, wild beasts, he suffered hunger and thirst and cold. Perils in the sea, both the storms and the shipwreck we talked about, and also even pirates on occasion. Perils among false brethren, those who joined themselves to the church, pretended to be Christians. These eminent apostles added their own legalistic slant, saying it was Jesus plus the law, and they became enemies of the gospel, so they became enemies of Saul, and there was danger that came with it. Verse 27, in weariness and toil. Again, Sometimes we look at Paul and we think, this guy must have been superhuman. Right? Well, if I was as superhuman as Paul, then no, Paul was just like us. It's very clear because he was weary. There was weariness and toil. There was fatigue. There was hardship. There was distress. But he kept traveling, preaching, enduring trials, and laboring for his provision because he knew that God had called him to. Verse Next, in sleeplessness often, I can relate to this one, often engaged in preaching and prayer and deep into the night and sometimes waking early and working late to supply his necessities, Paul, in order to serve the Lord and reach out to the lost, gave up the bondage of sleep and just said, you know what, Lord? I I love some of the messages where he preached all night and then he'd go minister to someone's home and then he would walk all the rest of the night to go minister to somebody else. Why? Because there was an urgency in his heart. There was a burden for the lost. Paul, in order to serve the Lord, gave up that bondage of sleep and was willing, even blessed, to do whatever it took. In Calvary San Jose, we had a, a large church and not a large staff. And a lot of times the guys, you know, we'd be in the office at three in the morning and someone knock on your door and people were studying all night. We, used to say, we had a saying, we'll, we'll, we'll rest when we get to heaven. And this was Paul. We'll, you know, I'm gonna, Lord, I only have this much time to serve you. My life is but a vapor. Let me be worn out for you when I get to heaven. Amen? In fastings often, voluntarily keeping his body under subjection. In cold and nakedness, cold resulting from insufficient clothing. When traveling in winter, poorly clothed, having no dwelling place to live, to be sheltered, could be a result of the robber stealing his cloak. And here he is, he's cold and he's naked and he's hungry and he's thirsty and he just keeps going. I want that guy on my staff, amen? I want that guy because here's a guy who gets it, who has an eternal perspective. And then look what he says. Besides the other things that come upon me daily. So this isn't even an exhaustive list. This is just some things I wanted to point out to you. And oh, by the way, There's a bunch of other stuff, but why does it come upon him? My deep concern for all the churches. 
All the other stuff that happened to him externally, the stonings, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the muggings, the hunger, the thirst, the cold, was nothing compared to the concern he had for the church. This is a pastor's heart. Amen? He was so much more concerned about the people that everything else paled in comparison. This is not the heart of a spiritual guru or a motivational speaker. This is the heart of a father. Father, their father in the faith. Moms and dads, you can relate with this. Does anything compare, any physical thing you could go through, can anything compare to the concern and love you have for your kids? There's nothing the world can do to you or to me that compares to our children hurting. Nothing. Lord, give it all to me. Don't hurt them, right? This is Paul's heart. All the beatings, everything, it's nothing in comparison to the church not walking with God. The burden he has for his brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to keep going because I love them. And I want to minister to them. And I want to point them back to the truth. And I don't want them to be under the bondage of legalism anymore. And I don't want those who are confused about the truth to not understand. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep preaching until all have heard. I'm going to go till all come. And that was his heart. You've got to love the heart of the Apostle Paul. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to stumble? And, and I do not burn with indignation. You know what? Paul was gripped when others were made to stumble. It burned his heart. Paul cared about each church and each individual. And he says, I'm weak. I am weak. And I'll tell you what, I'm broken when someone is made to stumble. It burns me up. It broke his heart more to see someone stumbled in their walk than to be beaten five times. It broke his heart to see someone outside of God's will, outside of God's truth. Paul cared about each of the churches for every struggling and suffering believer in the church, so much so that no amount of persecution or personal discomfort would keep him from the calling and the task at hand to reach the world with with the truth of the gospel. What made Paul tick? Why did he have zeal when all others didn't? How was he able to have such great joy and and serve with such reckless abandon all the while enduring these great trials? Why didn't he just quit? I think we have three three things if you take notes. In chapter 12, he knew the reality of heaven. We're going to see it next week. God had given him a glimpse of heaven. And he knew what was in front of him. So because of it, the things of this world were dim in the light of heaven. It wasn't some foggy, distant promise. He had seen it personally. He had an eternal perspective. And again, let me ask you a question. Has the Lord made heaven real in your heart? Are you really looking forward to heaven? Do you really, could you really say, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Or, you know, there's a few things I want to do before He comes back. I will confess to you, I've been guilty. Have you ever been guilty of that? Am I the only one who thought, well, there's a few things I'd like to do before He comes back? I'd really like to see my kids grow up. I'd really like to do this. I, you know, I remember I was playing football in college and we had a big bowl game. I was like, Lord, don't come back before the bowl game. That's just wrong. Like heaven, like a bowl game is better than heaven. We need to make heaven real in our hearts, amen? It was real to Paul and because it was real, nothing else mattered. You know what else? Can I say this? Have you ever looked at a crowd of people or your family or your classmates and been broken over where they're going to spend eternity? to the point that it drives you to weeping. That ought to be our heart. Sometimes I drive downtown on the mall and I just weep. And that should be our heart. Because if it is, then these temporary persecutions will mean nothing because we'll see those people in the light of eternity and we'll have hearts that are broken for them. Amen? This was Paul's heart. Knowing the reality of heaven, Paul would not be moved by the temporal persecutions of this world. He also knew the power of the gospel. He knew the reality of heaven and the power of the gospel to transform lives. And if anybody could preach to that, it was Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus on the road to go persecute Christians, got knocked off his high horse, looked up, met Jesus Christ. Life was turned right side up. Amen? And if anybody could talk about the power of God, it was him. Later he would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul knew that the gospel of Christ alone would transform the world. It wasn't politics. We should be politically active. It wasn't, you know... You know, all the other things that we think are important, it's Christ that will transform the world. And Paul knew about the mercy of God because it had transformed his own 
life. He knew the reality of heaven, the power of the gospel, the mercy of Christ. It had transformed his own life. Later he would say this, For our light affliction, which is is for but a moment, is working for us a far exceedingly and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at all things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. You know what? In comparison to eternity, nothing the world can do to us is anything. Amen? Nobody's standing in heaven bummed out about a trial they went through. Nobody. And yet we will get derailed by a trial. And just stop serving. And stop sharing our faith. And be mad at God. And Paul got it. Lord, use this, even this, for your glory. The eminent apostles had a temporary focus. And what were they doing? They they saw hardship as weakness. Oh, you're going through a tough time? You must not have any faith. Ever heard that before? Oh, you're sick? No faith. If you had faith like I have faith, you'd be living and driving a Rolls Royce like me, right? Have you heard that? Have you heard that? You hear it all the time. Wait a minute. The Apostle Paul. Thorn in his flesh all of his life. Sold out for God. He didn't have faith. He went through hardship. That's what the eminent apostles would say. The sign of true calling is during through the midst of difficulty. Almost done. Verse 29, as he said, he was indignant because of his heart was for others. He was burned. It burned Paul up to see these false teachers stumble other believers. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which confirm my eternity. Paul's boasting was not in his ability, like the false apostles, but in his weakness that God would be glorified. The eminent apostles boasted in their abilities and looked down on Paul's frailties. Paul boasted in the greatness of God, using him in spite of his weakness. Last three verses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now, for Paul, this is a point in case of his own weakness. He had just gotten saved. He goes into Damascus going, okay, revival's coming. And instead, he has to escape in a basket. This is not a conquering warrior escaping out a hole on the side in a basket. Paul was a basket case at this point, right? And that's what he says here. Paul says, you know, look, I, in my weakness, he is made strong. God alone is the one who protects me. God alone is the one who delivers me. It's our weakness and total surrender that makes him strong in our lives. So in closing, may we not be deceived by the false apostles of this world. May we look beyond the outward charisma and eloquent speech to the content of their message. May we not follow their example either, being focused solely on the here and now, more concerned with worldly riches than heavenly rewards, seeking power and position and possessions and personal comfort while people all around us are dying without Jesus. May we be more like Paul. May we be focused on eternity. May we be less concerned with how we look before men. May we seek only that God be glorified. May we make the great commission of spreading the truth of the gospel the priority of our lives. Amen? Should be the priority of our lives. Boasting only in the faithfulness of God. Living lives of reckless abandon for God and the truth of the gospel. Unmoved by our trials or our circumstances. Willing even if the Lord leads us to sell our house to feed some hungry lepers in China. Lord, my life is yours. Do you believe that God can transform Santa Cruz County? I know that he can. Amen? And you know what, and I, want to, and I know I'm over on time a little bit, but where are you going? Hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to say this. Sometimes when you hear a message like this, people say they walk out and feel condemned. I don't want you to be condemned. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be exhorted. I was, as I studied this. You heard it for an hour. I studied it for 25. So God's been wailing on me all week, okay? But the point is that as we study the Word of God... We should not feel condemned because we haven't done enough been encouraged to do more. Amen? Because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't want you to feel guilted into, oh man, I just, that was such a heavy message and I had to go sell my house to buy rice. No. What, I, what, I, what I'm saying is, I want you to be encouraged to say, Lord, give me an eternal perspective. Paint eternity on my eyes. Help me to see people as lost, 
that don't know the Lord and help me to love them. Lord, take my life and use it for your glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for just a clear exhortation, even in today's message, Lord, to, to live lives of reckless abandon for you. Lord, not to be so caught up in our own personal comfort that we have no time for the kingdom of God, no time for those around us who don't know you. Lord, we pray for Santa Cruz County. Bring revival here, Lord. I pray for those who are lost in this county, walking around 95% of the county does not go to church. Lord, may we, the 5%, not be ashamed of you. May we boldly share the love of God. May we not be legalistic. May we not be like these imminent apostles walking around arrogant about our faith. But Lord, may we be one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. May we point them to your grace, to your love, and to your mercy. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, use our lives for your glory in whatever way you choose. Here we are, Lord, send us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.